to kick off tonight, how many of you guys love a good love story? Who loves a good love story? Be honest. Be honest. It's okay. Love a good love story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. I think, even if you didn't raise your hand, it's okay. But I think that really, honestly, that every single one of us love a good love story. I, I think we do. I think we really do. You, you can't deny, you can deny it all you want, but I really believe that every single one of us loves a good love story. Um, there's something in each, every one of us, each and every one of us, listen, there's something in each and every one of us that wants to feel love, that wants to experience love, that wants to know love, and that wants to show love. It, Here's the deal. That doesn't mean that like you have to sit around and watch chick flicks all day. It doesn't mean that you have to to read romantic love novels and write poems in your free time. Uh, By a show of hands, by a show of hands, who here honestly loves a good chick flick? Honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be honest. (laughs) Um, mm? okay i think most of us in this room though if we're honest i think most of us in this room have probably thought um probably around the time that you started having emotions towards boys or girls gargoyles um I think most of us have thought at one time, once we started having these emotions, um, that we, we probably have thought that I want to live a great or have a great love story. Maybe you haven't, but I think in the long term, in the long picture, we've probably thought something like this. Now, I, don't, I know um, a lot of you guys know this. Maybe I've told this story before. A lot of you guys know this. Or maybe you've heard this before. Um, but when Kristen and I met... She was nine years old, and I was 12. So, like, Evie tonight, she was that age, except tomorrow she won't be. But, like, she was nine years old, and I was 12 when we first met. It was in church, and, and you may not know this either, but at this moment, when Kristen saw me, she said to herself, I'm going to marry Jeremy Wyatt. At nine years old, she didn't tell anyone she didn't tell anyone this. She just knew. I didn't know this, but she did. Um, here's the deal. But we grew up in a small church in a small town. And, and Chris and I, we didn't hang out or anything. Um, but we just kind of knew each other from church because it was a small church. Like later on, like eight, nine years later, um, I began to hang out with her brother who was teaching me to play the bass. And um, that's when I began to know Kristen a little bit more. That's when I began to, to get to know her and her family. Now, Kristen's brother, her younger brother, he, he's younger than she is. And, um, but he was like a musical genius, so I was learning from him. And so he, I, would, I would hang out with him. I kind of would get to know him. Uh, so I would go to some of his basketball games and hang out with their family and just kind of get to know them. Um, but, and they had a brother also that was two years older than me, and I knew him as well. My brother and him were the same age, so like we knew like the whole family. Actually, longer story, shorter, my mom used to babysit Kristen's dad when they, like years and years and years ago. Weird, I know, weird story, but yeah, yeah. So anyways, 
Kristen and I, over time, eight or nine years later, began to like each other. Began to like each other. And, and so later on, I felt the need to ask her to be my girlfriend. So here's, the, here's how it was. Like we were actually sitting at one of Caleb's basketball practices. And uh, Kristen was, was sitting next to me. And we were just kind of talking, just kind of there, hanging out, watching Caleb practice basketball. And, and finally, like, I, I get quiet. And I'm kind of quiet anyways, but I get quieter. And, and because I was about to ask her to be my girlfriend. And so um, the whole time we're hanging out and I'm trying to build up this courage to ask her. And I'm like, hey, um, and then we're just sitting there. And then she's like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, no, no. oh did you see that shot? Yeah. Hey, uh, what's that? And so like I was trying to build up the courage to ask her to be my girlfriend. So finally, I was like, I leaned over and I was like, hey, um, I, I like you. Do you like me? Would you be my girlfriend? And it was terrible. Like I was sweating. My armpits were sweating. It was awkward. But she said yes. And um, it, it was official. And I'll admit, like, I'm not a super romantic guy. Actually, I'm not a romantic guy at all. Uh, and, and I know it's, it's just who I am. I'm not romantic, but I was man enough to ask. Now, girls, if a guy ever texts you, snaps you or any other form other than face to face asking you to be their girlfriend, you need to say no, delete their number, delete them and run far, far away. If your guy is not man enough to ask you face to face, punch him in the mouth right now. I'm just kidding. Seriously, though, seriously, I don't. And then also, we don't have this big romantic love story of me proposing to Kristen. I know like people have these big elaborate love stories of rose petals down the aisle and like guitar playing in the background and like, oh, like the lighting is just perfect. We didn't have that. Here's how um, here's how I proposed to Kristen. Well, kind of. Um, just to show you kind of how non-romantic either one of us are, we had been dating at this time for like three years. And it, yeah, I know, that's a long time. We dated for a long time because here's the deal. I, I, if I'm going to make a commitment like that, I want to know like it's the real deal. And, and um, so, um, so neither one of us are like super romantic people. We've been dating for three years. But we, we've had conversations about our future. We've had conversations about marriage. But I, I just wasn't ready. Marriage is a huge deal. It's a life decision. And I didn't really want to talk about it. Didn't really want to think about it. But until I absolutely knew for sure that this is what I wanted to do. And so here's how romantic we are. We are sitting together at Chili's. After church on a Sunday morning, we just got out of church. We're like, hey, let's go eat lunch. We're sitting in Chili's after church on a Sunday morning, just talking about life and such and all kinds of stuff. And somehow, some way in that moment, I knew that I wanted to marry Kristen. So we were talking, we were there, we were talking about it and we, we just knew and, and I wanted to marry her at that moment. So we were sitting there eating and I was like... Let's do it. Let's get married. And then she, immediately she was like, there's a ring store right over there. 
Like, <laughs> so, so anyways, and so next thing you know, next thing you know, we're at this jewelry store. We walk out of Chili's and go to this jewelry store next door. And next thing you know, I'm purchasing a ring. Uh, I hadn't even, like, my head is spinning at this point. Like, she was totally ready for probably a couple years, but I wasn't ready yet. I was purchasing a ring. Like, my head was spinning. I was like, I don't know what just happened. And, like, six months later, we were married. Yeah. Here's the deal. Like, we, we were created for love. It's who we are. We were created for love. Um, it's, it, but the challenge and our problem is sometimes it's difficult to differentiate what is real love and what is fake love. Like, guys, seriously, we jumped into this so fast. Like, we talked about it, and the next thing you know, we had a ring. Like, we went totally backwards because I'm, I'm a little bit old-fashioned. Like, I got to talk to her dad. You know, I got to okay it with her dad. You know, I got to do the, you know, I got to take the proper steps that you got to take. And, and, like, we were totally, and I was like, uh... We can't tell anyone. Like, I got to talk to your dad first. Like, I gotta, and talk to your mom. And like, so I got the blessing from her dad. And then our moms were just having to be together. And we told our moms. And the first thing they said when we told our moms that we were getting married, they started crying. And they, they were, my, our moms are friends. They started crying and they look at each other and they're like, we're going to be grandmas together. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not get there yet. I mean, like, oh my goodness. So anyways, we were, we were created for love. We were, every one of us, we were created for love, but we have to, uh, it's difficult. We have to find out what's real love and what's fake love. In our world today, we're, 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 we're presented with many, many definitions of love. If you watch certain movies, they'll tell you that love is one thing. Or if you watch certain TV shows, they'll tell you that love is this thing. Or if you listen to certain music, they'll tell you that love is another way. Or or we're given all these different pictures of what love is. So here's the deal. We're kind of left with this problem of trying to determine and trying to figure out what real love is. See, some people have defined love that is, it's an act that a man and a woman do with each other. That's how some people have defined love. Some people have defined real love as something that you choose one day, but then you don't feel like it any longer, and then you can choose not to. Some people just say, you know what, real love is just whatever you want, whatever you feel, Uh, you, you define love for you. See, I, I really feel that we've dumbed down the word love. Our society, we've dumbed down the word love. I, I know I, I've said this to you guys before, but I'm the kind of guy who doesn't just freely use that word. To me, that word, it, it carries heavy weights. It, it's, it's a strong word. It's a powerful word to use. It takes great conviction in my life to use that word. Because for me, it carries heavy weights. When I say that I love someone, I want it to mean something. And that's, that's just who I am. I, I, have, I have this heavy conviction over this. Like, but with the media and the world and everyone around, we're just throwing around these wor- this love word. And I love cheeseburgers. I love Chipotle. I love like Chick-fil-A sauce. Like, come on, praise Jesus, somebody. And like, we just throw this word around 
But how in the world are we supposed to know what real love is? And I want to show you that tonight. If you got your Bible, um, I want you to, to open it up um, to, well, before we get there, I, I want to encourage you guys to take notes, to write some things down, because hopefully God's going to speak to your heart tonight about love and relationships. But First John 4, 8, it says this. It says that God is what? It's not saying he's all about love. He's for love. He wants you to find love. It says that God is love. Everyone say it with me. Say, God is love. Here we go. God is love. You see, God didn't make up love. Love makes up who God is. God didn't make up love. Love makes up who God is. God wasn't just sitting around one day thinking... Man, uh, earth is pretty dull. It's pretty boring. Uh, what's something I could do to, to spice it up a little bit? Make it a little spicy meatball. I know. Let's call it love. As long as God has been, there's been love. That's forever. Because it's who he is. Everything that God thinks, everything that God feels, everything that God is, is love. The way he looks at you, the way he thinks about you, the way he talks about you, how he sees you is love because it's who he is. See, there's this story in this Bible, in the Bible, where there's this woman caught in the act of adultery. And she's thrown down in front of Jesus and she's thrown in front of Jesus in front of this whole crowd of people. And everyone's watching and they're wondering what's about to happen. And Jesus, in that moment, he rescues her, he saves her, and he restores her. Not because it's the polite, gentlemanly thing to do. It's because who he is compels him to love her. See, there was this man named Lazarus. He died and he was put in the grave. He'd been dead for three days. See, Jesus didn't grab his disciples and he says, guys, 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 get your Insta stories ready. I'm about to do something hype. Jesus never said that. No, Jesus is love. So his actions reflect love. Jesus didn't heal people who had been sick for all their lives just so he could feel good about himself but because he is love. See, you may be here tonight and you may be, and as we're going through this series called Real Love, you may think, I- I've done so much. I- I've made so many mistakes. I've, I've messed up before. And you, ha- you have no idea the things that I've done, or maybe you have no idea the things that have been done to me, what, what I've gotten myself into. You have no idea. I can't be loved by anyone, much less Jesus. But know this, you need to know this. Jesus does not see you with anger. Jesus does not see you with frustration or judgment or resentment. He sees you through the eyes of love because it's who he is. We talked about that last week. It's not about what he can do, but it's about who he is. And God is love. So here's the deal. My car... I drive a 2006 Honda Civic. Yeah, it's more than 10 years old. And um, I, I've had some problems with my car. for that has been going on for a while now. I've had these problems with my car, and, and I've actually hated to drive my car. This car was actually our first family car, actually our second family car. 
um, that we had. We would haul around kids like, okay, you guys, we must be small people if a family car is a Honda Civic. So um, we've had this car for a long time, and it's had some problems, and I, and I haven't been able to get it in and get it fixed. And, and, but I've been afraid, actually, honestly, to drive my car because I would be afraid that I would be stranded somewhere. And so, actually, um, I, I usually only drive my car to and from work. I needed, I, I, I've needed to get this thing fixed. So how many of you guys know there's a lot of places, a lot of companies... Uh, a lot of places that fix things. There's a lot of places that fix things. They they fix stuff. And like, would it be weird if I took my car, which had these problems, to a veterinarian and said, "Hey, uh, you guys fix stuff. I need my car fixed." They would look at me like I was a crazy person. Like, you guys fix things, right? Yeah, animals. I need you to fix my car. Wouldn't that be crazy? See, many times this is what we do when it comes to love. I need you to catch this. We go to things that did not create love, did not design love, and did not define love to try to have them fix our love for us. We look at Hollywood. We look at movies. We look at books. We look at magazines. We look at images. We look to our friends and we say, show me what love is. Explain to me how I'm supposed to love. But the thing is, these things didn't define love. They didn't create love. It's simply their version of what love is. Here's the deal. God is love. So we need to go to him to find the definition because God defines love. Tonight, we're going to look at two characters in the Bible. We're going to look at these people named Boaz and Ruth. We're going to look at Boaz and Ruth. And I want to encourage you to read the whole book of Ruth. We're in the book of Ruth. If you got your Bible tonight, Ruth chapter 2. We're going to talk about Boaz and Ruth. And and it's a short, easy read. I want to encourage you guys to read this on your own. It's in the Old Testament. But as we learn about Boaz and Ruth, we find out the story is that Boaz is perfect for Ruth. He's perfect for Ruth. Boaz was not a perfect person But he was perfect for Ruth, and God set it up. And I need you to know this tonight, that fake love is forced. Real love is perfect in its time. Fake love is forced, but real love is perfect in its time. See, many times our relationships fail because we're settling for something less than what God has for us. We settle for something less than God's plan for us. We want something now, so we force force something that wasn't meant to be, something that was not intended by God for us. And when you do that, it won't last. It won't be healthy. It won't be good. When you try to force fake love, it won't last. We need to wait on God to help us find real love. How will we know when someone's perfect for us? Uh, that's a question that, that we get a lot. How will you know when you find the one? You find that perfect one for you. Um, if Boaz was perfect for Ruth, how do we determine the right one for us? So if you brought your Bible tonight, we're going to look in the book of Ruth too. And so before we get there, let me kind of set the scene first. Ruth was the daughter-in-law of a woman named Naomi. Everybody say Naomi. 
See, Naomi was married to this man named Elimelech. Now, that's quite a name. That's fun to say, Elimelech. And they, uh, Naomi and Elimelech, had two sons. And here's the deal. These sons married foreign women. Ruth was one of those. And in this time, back in this day, a, a, a woman did not have a social standing like a man would have. At this time, a, a woman's worth or a woman's value was determined by who she was married to, how wealthy he was and how influential he was in the place that they lived. So here's what happened in the span of like 10 years. Naomi's husband dies and then both of her sons die. This is all in Ruth 1. I know, it's setting up a beautiful love story, isn't it? You guys ready for this? It's getting there. Ruth is an awesome love story. So this is all just in Ruth 1. And this is not good. And so, but it really, it sets this tone for this kind of depressing story. Because Naomi, she's like, life appears to be over. Like, I lost my sons. I've lost everything. Everything I had was tied up in my husband and my sons. Because men were supreme then. And so she feels like God is angry with her and that God has done this to her. <clears throat> so her husband dies, her two sons dies, and she's left with these two daughter-in-laws. <clears throat> so Naomi, she decides she's going to return to her hometown. She's going to return to where she's from. And Naomi, she tells Ruth and the other daughter-in-law, say, you guys go back to where you came from, go back to your people, go back to your community, go back to where you came from, and maybe someone there can take, can take care of you. And the one daughter leaves. But Ruth decided to stay with Naomi and help her out. <clears throat> so at the end of Ruth 1, it seems like all hope is lost. But at the beginning of Ruth 2, Boaz enters the scene. Oh, yeah. Boaz must have been an awesome dude. Like, here's the deal, though, about Ruth and Boaz. This relationship between Ruth and Boaz was not something that was forced. <clears throat> it was not something that they tried to make happen. It wasn't when, whenever it wasn't supposed to. But God set up this relationship. So we find Ruth and Boaz in a field that Boaz owned, and Ruth was working in the field. And this is the beginning of Ruth 2. Honestly, like if the Bible had a chick flick in it, it would be the story of Ruth and Boaz. So Ruth tells Naomi one day, she's like, hey, I'm going to go and find a field, and I'm going to go pick up, start picking up some grain so we can have some food. And, and Naomi's like, go for it. And so Ruth just so happens to find the field that Boaz owns. And so Ruth is out in the field. She's working hard. She's picking up grain. It's in the heat of the day. So Boaz, he shows up and he's checking on his property. He's checking on his workers. He's checking on his people. And he looks in the distance and he sees this woman he's never seen before. Now Boaz doesn't just see a woman. He sees a woman working. Hello. <laughs> she was working. I'm sorry. She was working. She was picking up grain. She was trying to provide. Uh, and then when he sees her, he does this double take. You guys know what a double take is, right? Like he sees her and he's like, 
Like he does. And, you know, like when you see someone like the when you look back real fast, like a double take, that's what happens when Kristen sees me sometimes like her neck still hurts from it. So imagine with me, the sun is shining perfectly. The setting is they're in the middle of a field and Ruth looks up. And she flips her hair back. And the wind is blowing in the end just right. And Boaz is like, my goodness. I must meet this woman. And this is how Boaz and Ruth are introduced to each other. It's really like a chick flick. So before we go too too far into this, of why Boaz was perfect for Ruth and, and how God has someone perfect for you and what that will look like. Remember that it was not forced because fake love is forced. The relationship is not forced and God set it up in his perfect timing. So in Ruth 2, we're going to read verses 3 and 4 and it goes like this. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. So let's stop right there. Here's why Boaz was perfect for Ruth. He was perfect for Ruth because he loved God first. He was perfect for Ruth because he loved God first. The person that is perfect for you will love God first. They will love God more than they love you. So Boaz walks out into his field and he says to his workers, he's like, hey, everyone, Lord be with you. You guys are awesome. You guys are great. And, and Boaz, he knew, he realized he was a blessed man. Everything he had, everything he did was centered around God. The person that is perfect for you will love God first. The second thing we see about Boaz is that he protected Ruth. We're going to read in verse 5. It says this, Then Boaz asked his foreman, uh, Who is that young woman over there? And who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is a young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes uh, rest in the shelter. Verse 8, Boaz went over to uh, and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. See, here's the deal. Boaz was perfect for Ruth because he protected Ruth. A man or a even, well, we'll get there. A man that is perfect for you will protect you. See, a, a foreigner back in this day going out into a field working in an unknown place was very dangerous. There's plenty of opportunity for her to be harmed or, or for a man to take advantage of her or someone to hurt her. There was plenty of opportunities for something bad to happen to Boaz or to Ruth, but Boaz protects her. He tells his men to not touch her, to not bring her any harm. So not only did he protect her physically, 
but he also provided for her. He told Naomi to stay in the fields and to follow the women closely and do what they do. The person that God has intended for you will be perfect because they will protect you. Listen, girls, ladies in this room, listen to me. The right guy that God has for you will guard your heart. He will protect you. He will protect your emotions. He won't play on your emotions. He'll protect your emotions. He'll protect your feelings. He will protect your heart. The right guy, he will protect your heart and he will protect your purity. Amen? He will protect your purity. He will guard you and not try to take something from you. He will protect your name. He will protect your reputation. Men, the woman, the girl that God has for you, she will protect your honor. While you're not perfect and make mistakes, she will guard that and protect that and, and, and encourage you and help you. She will not take something from you or not try to get something from you. She will protect you. See, before Boaz even <clears throat> knew Ruth, before he even knew her, he protected her. Boaz loved God first. Boaz protected Ruth. And the last thing is that Boaz did not require something from her. See, the perfect one for you will not require something from you in order to love you. They will not require something from you in order to love you. They will not need you to give them something to, to do something for you or offer you anything for them to love you. Can I have you come up and play keys? I want to continue reading. Um, After all Boaz had done for Ruth, verse 10, it says this, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him. And then she asked him this very, very, very important question. What have I done to deserve such kindness? See, you see, Ruth did nothing for Boaz, but she gained everything from Boaz. Boaz did not ask something from her or require something from her in order to give, uh, in order to give her what he had, in order to protect her, in order to love her. See, the crazy thing about this story is that Boaz would be considered a redeemer. He'd be considered a redeemer. Think back to to Naomi's situation. She lost her husband. She lost her 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 both of her sons, uh, which was she which was Ruth's husband. See, women at that time they weren't thought very highly of. They moved together, so they they moved together to a different place, and they really had nothing now. In this time, a person could redeem them by paying their debt and restoring what they had. See, Boaz is the redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. See, if you read the story more, Boaz, he eventually asks Ruth to marry him. And when he marries Ruth, He pays for all of her debt when he marries her and he gives her a new life in his home. See, all of Boaz's wealth, 
all of his status, everything that he had, everything that he was is now hers as well. He paid for her debt and gave her a whole new life. See, the question that Ruth asked when she fell at Boaz's feet is a question I've asked so many times. What have I done to deserve your kindness, God? God, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done done to deserve love for you? I'm nothing but a, a filthy, worthless sinner. What have I done to deserve what you've given me, given me, God? What have I done to deserve your blessings? How have you protected me? How have you loved me? How have you placed me where you have? How have you carried me? God, what have I done to deserve this? See, just like Boaz is the redeemer for Ruth and her family, God sent a redeemer for you and me. He sent someone for you and I to save us. He sent a redeemer and his name was Jesus. And see, Jesus did for us what Boaz did for Ruth. He paid for our debt and he gave us a new life. He paid for our debt and he gave us new life.